So I recently came across this funny story. The headline said, man shocked to learn black letters in Bible just as inspired as red. Uh, so this was written in Draper, Virginia, and this is what the article said. Local man Brian Reed was startled Monday to learn from an internet search that the black letter letters in his Bible are every bit as authoritative as the red letters. This is what he said. I could have sworn the words of Jesus were like extra inspired, he explained to sources, except for Revelation 2 and 3. He sounds a little peeved there. Shoot, I even returned a Bible to a Christian store one time after realizing there were no red letters in it. I totally thought it was defective. Reed, who recently completed a red letters in a year reading plan for the third year in a row in its... Sorry, I can't, I can't keep a straight face anymore. Uh, <laughs> he admits he's intimidated by the implications of his discovery. Man, I'm really going to have to buckle down and get reading. I can't believe the Son of God has spoken to me in 62 other books. Uh, reflecting on the apparent God-breathed authority of black letters long avoided, read with solemn. I can't believe I'm saying this as a follower of Jesus, but I guess I have to obey the words of Paul too. I've heard rumors that he's a little harsh. Pray for me, he added. All right, okay, so you probably guessed by now that this is uh, from a satire, a Christian satire website. Uh, but the funny thing is we laugh because there's a hint of truth to it, isn't there? I mean, every joke is funny because there's a hint of truth behind it. And today we're going to be talking about the core, one of the core values we have as a church, which is Bible-centered. So what do you think about the Bible? Do you value, and let's, let's be honest here, do you value some parts greater than others? Are there some parts of the scriptures that you have read a lot of times, but other parts that you have skipped over? Now, while it might not as be, be as drastic as the man in the story who only read, I was like, red letters in the Bible reading plan? I'm like, that's going to take you a day, right? Or like a week to get through. Uh, and I mean, think about that. I mean, are there certain books or sections that you find yourself turning to over and over again? Now, how do you feel about the Bible? That's how you think about the Bible. How do you feel about it? Do you see it as a stale religious text, as dry? Do you approach the Bible academically, impersonally, or do you see it as God's love letter to us centered around Jesus? When you read the Bible and you're working through and you're reading a page after another page, is it something where you just get so enveloped in that you just can't wait to get to the next page, or do you find yourself yawning by the second sentence? Most of the time, it's interesting when we think about, uh, you know, the gospel of John, for example, right? So if you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 1. A lot of times when we think of the gospel of John, immediately we think, you know, John the Baptist, we think John the Apostle, we think the story of Christ. Uh, but when you look at John chapter 1, the first 18 verses, it's fascinating because it says something so significant and foundational to our understanding about the Bible, right? It, it, it does that. It's kind of the header in my Bible says prologue before we get to John the Baptist. And it says in John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word word is capitalized. So it's referring to someone. In, begin, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was was God. 
Now, it makes sense to think that John is talking about the Scriptures, right? Because he's talking about the Word, and that's often what we use to refer to the Word of God. Uh, But if you look at verse 2, you'll notice that John doesn't refer to the Word as an it, but as he, right? So look at verse 2. He was with God, right? He's referring to the Word that he just talked about. He was with God in the beginning, And if you look uh, ongoing, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And if you look at verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John here is not talking about a book. He's not talking about scrolls. He is referring to Jesus Christ when he talks about the Word. He, and he does this, and he, and he does it this way, and he words it this way. Um, and, and when he does it, he's kind of like, saying it like this. Okay? He's saying, hey, before I go and tell you about the story of Jesus, which you know, it's about to happen here, uh, let me give you a little preface. Everything I'm about to share with you is not just a good story, it's not history, it's not an account of what happened in a certain geographical location for a certain people group, for a certain people. He's basically saying in these first 18 verses, he's saying, hey, everything I'm about to share with you is about Jesus. And Jesus is not a man, he's actually God himself. He was with God in the beginning. He was the Word. And in Jesus... There is life and there's light like you'll never find anywhere else. And this Jesus was not some ethereal being. He actually became human and he dwelt among us to show us how to live and to give us life through his death and his resurrection. That is basically what he's trying to tell us by saying, hey, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word of God is Jesus And the Bible is one uniform love letter from God to all of humanity expressing his redemptive plan in the love of Jesus Christ. The Bible is a cherished work revealing God's grace for an unfaithful humankind who despite our continual rebellion... You know, he chooses to come close to us. He, he chooses to make a way for us to draw near to him, to find freedom in him, to experience his love, and to join him on his mission. Now, let's go to Psalm chapter 19, because in the rest of our time together, we're going to be walking through a few of the verses here in Psalm 19. And, and as Justin and I were praying and preparing for this Sunday, he preached at Mount Ju- our Mount Juliet campus this morning. Uh, as, as we were praying about this, Psalm 19 just popped out at us. It, it really popped out at us for reasons, uh, I mean, we're going to be walking through the verses here, starting from verse 7. You'll see why we uh, wanted to work through this, but it's, it's really to explain and elaborate the fact that at the fellowship, last week we talked about our core value being, what, what did we talk about last week? Everyone's an insider, right? Everyone's an insider here, and today we're going to be talking about another one of our core values, which is Bible-centered. So let's look at Psalm 19, starting from verse 7. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. 
The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Now, take a look at the selection of words in that verse. It's interesting that the adjective used to describe the instruction of the Lord, right? What's that adjective there? The instruction of the Lord is perfect. Now, think about that, right? Why did he say the instruction of the Lord was perfect, and what does that mean? Now, if the instruction of the Lord, which, I I mean, I typically wouldn't say, I I would say maybe that the instruction of the Lord was wise, right? And and we read about the scripture being wisdom, and we read about that a lot. I mean, just look at the entire book of Proverbs, and we, we went through the book of James this last summer as a church, right? So we understand that the word of God is wise, But if the instruction of the word was merely wise, do you think it could renew your life? Right? Because that's what it says here. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. I know when I read a nonfiction book, I'll often walk away from the book having grown in wisdom. I'll, I'll, you know, hopefully wisdom. I mean, at least I'll get knowledge from the book and, and instruction. I hope that what I learned grows into wisdom. But typically, the adjective, the adjective I use when describing any of the books on my shelf is, I, I don't say they're renewing. I don't know when's the last time you read a book and you were like, man, that was renewing, right? We don't say that. Yet it says here that the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. When I use the word renewing in everyday life, I'm thinking about being immersed in a hot spring. Like being in a hot spring is renewing, right? On a, or maybe you're in a really hot day, right? Really, really hot day, sticking your feet in cold water, right? Or chasing my kids through the spray park when it's like blazing hot. You know, I'm not one of those parents that kind of sits on the side and just watches the kids walk through. Because I know every parent that does that is like, you are so hot, right? You're like, I wish I could run through the park like my kids. No, I go with a bathing suit on and I'm running through the sprinklers. Cause I'm, and all the parents are like, well, I wish I could do that. I was like, yeah, because it's renewing, right? It feels good to do that. To, I mean, you know, even turning the sprinklers on in my backyard, running through the sprinklers with my kids. That's when I use the word renewing. I don't use that when referring to a book. So perhaps it's precisely because the instruction of the Lord that we read in the Bible is perfect. Perhaps it's because it's perfect that that is why it has the ability to renew our lives, right? What other book we read is perfect. So perhaps it's because it's perfect, it has the ability to renew our lives. I love how Jesus puts it in John 4, verse 13 to 14, and I'll read it here in the message paraphrase. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. I love this here. The water I give will be an artesian spring within gushing fountains of endless life. Right? It's this artesian spring that's coming up from the ground where it's like, how is it bubbling? Where is it coming from? It's not being flown in from, from another river or another lake or another ocean. It's coming up from within bubbling. As we read here, yes, in the following verse there, right? At the end of verse 7, God's word is perfect. It is trustworthy. It does make the inexperienced wise. Yes, it does all that. But friends, 
it's also what can truly renew us. The Bible can renew us like running through the sprinklers on a blazing hot day. Everything else in the world comes up short. Everything else in this world promises to satisfy, but it cannot renew us like the Word of God can. Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. Making the eyes light up. Just, I mean, just look at that, right? Making the eyes light up. Does reading, does engaging with, does studying the Bible make your heart glad? Or would you rather read a book that talks about the Bible? Would you rather hear someone else talk about the Bible? And does that actually make your heart more glad about God than about going straight to His Word? When's the last time you opened up the Word and and your eyes lit up or your heart skipped a beat? Right? Do you rejoice in reading the Word or is it a bore? And what does that say about you? Now, here, here's the thing. When I talk about your eyes lighting up your, or your heart skipping a beat, a lot of times we parallel that with love. Right? We, we parallel that with romantic love, like falling in love for the first time or, or thinking about That's often what we think about, right? When your heart skips a beat or your eyes light up. But I don't think that this verse is talking about that kind of love. Okay, so if you have never felt that fluttering of your stomach when you've read the word, that's okay. I mean, I don't feel that either. So it's not like that's, I don't think that's something we ought to attain to. I think it's a different kind of love here. But what I do want to parallel this to is reading a love letter from someone you've been dating with long distance, if you've ever done that. Right, not that moment of being in the same room with someone that you love, but that moment of, of, of waiting for that email or that text or an actual handwritten letter and, and, and opening it up for the first time. And that feeling of you just kind of want to read as fast as you can, but you also want to read as slow as you can to savor and soak that text, that email, or that, that letter up. You know that feeling? It, it, it's, it's that expectation of I even if the house is burning down, I want to read this, I want to read this letter, right? I, I get it. It's not this, it's, it's excitement, but it's a different kind of excitement. In that moment, your heart is glad. Your heart does rejoice. The stress of life and, and the pressures of life seem to fade away. And that's what can happen as you read the Bible. That's what I want to parallel that to. Okay, that's the kind of expectation and that the renewing of, of, of your eyes, making them light up and making your heart glad. That's what can happen as you read the Bible. As you soak deeper into God's Word, the reason that happens is because your heart's desires and priorities will change. Now, let's get this straight. There's a priority here. Okay? There's, a, there's kind of like a cosmic order when it comes to reading the Word. All right, here it is. It's not about waiting until God changes your heart about the Word so that you can get into the Word. Because sometimes that's what we do. We ask God, God, would you make me love your Word? Would you make me feel that way about your Word? Would you make me want to? So we, so we go buy a new Bible, right? Because we like new things, right? And it's like, oh, it's exciting. I mean, how many of you wanting to kick back up your Bible reading basically said, well, the only way I can do that is if I go buy a new Bible, 
even though you have a Bible at home. Now, I don't, I work at Lifeway. I love it if you go buy a new Bible, right? So that's not what I'm saying. But what happens, right? What happens is we make these excuses, right? We're like, Oh, I, I, okay, okay, Daniel, I get that the, you know, here, Bible-centered is a very, is a core value, but, I mean, I just can't get into the Word like this. I need, I need something that looks better. And, and maybe what's happening is your, your idol for new, your desire, for, you're basically putting up these barriers, and what happens when you finally do get all those check marks off, and you get that Bible, and you get that journal, and you get that you know, you, 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 you watch the movie, right? What was that? Um, War Room, right? And you kind of design up your closet. I mean, how many of you designed up? How many of you watched that movie and you're like, I can't pray until I make my closet look like his closet. Right? We do this to ourselves. Whereas, whereas seriously, what I will do sometimes is when my kids are up on the week, like Saturday morning, and we'll often do brunch, Right? And, and I, will let, I will sleep in, Christina and I will sleep in, and, and before we you know, kind of do brunch and do all that stuff, I will go into my office, I will put earphones on, and I will turn the praise and worship music up, and I will read the Word. Now, I know sometimes there have been people who are like, oh, you're a pastor, shouldn't you wake up at like 5 a.m. and read the Bible? I was like, yeah, maybe, uh, but you know, I really like sleeping in. <laughs> so, and the kids will watch TV. I'm fine with that. Saturday, like I watched Saturday morning cartoons, grow, cartoons growing up, and I was fine. So, you know, let them watch, put my earphones on, you know, worship music, and I'm reading the Bible. Chaos can be going on around me, right? But I'm in the Word. I don't need to set myself and create a special place with a special experience. I can just spend time with Word. And this is what we do. We want God to change our hearts about the Word before we dig into the Word. Whereas in reality, what we need to do is we need to go into the Word first, place ourselves at the foot of the cross before Him, and what will happen is that is when He will change our hearts about the Word. Do you see that order? Going to the Word first is what will cause you to hunger for the Word. Praying to hunger the word doesn't cause you to hunger the word. Soaking deep into it is what will cause you to hunger after him. Now, in verse 9, we read that the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Right? We read that the ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. Right? They're reliable and altogether righteous. Now, in this day and age of fake news... Right? And a broad acceptance of what seems to be a watering down of purity and morality, the Bible brings us back to God's design for us. Now, the lie that the enemy says is that he says, hey, the, the, the Bible and, and purity is actually how God is holding us back. Right? That's the lie from the evil one. But what we read in the Word and what we've experienced, what we experience is that purity is not about God holding something back from us. It's actually about God wanting to save us for something better. A healthy fear of God comes not from intimidation tactics, right? Instilling a fear of God in our hearts or in our kids' lives is not about guilting or shaming us. 
A fear of God is produced from a reverence and a true understanding of who God really is. A true understanding of his reach. A true understanding that even though you may verbally say, and I've wrestled through this in teaching my kids about confession, hey, it's not just about saying, oh God, I ask for forgiveness. Right? Because that's what we do, right? We, we, we try to make habits. We try to make patterns. We try to do these things. And I was like, hey, you, you, you might say that to me, but God knows your heart. God can read your heart. He knows what's going on inside of you, right? And truly understanding that even when you are alone and you think everyone else is not there and it's just you and your device and no one else is looking, even when you think you're all alone, a healthy fear of God is recognizing that God is right there, that he sees it all, that he is there And yes, there's not going to be condemnation, but there will be conviction. Our culture has an agenda and seeks any means by which to support it. And we see this, right? We see this. When a church, think about this, we even see this in the church. When a church makes its value Bible-centered, it's saying we choose the Bible over traditions, denominations, and our own personal agendas. That's what we are saying that the Bible is lifted up high, right? God's agenda is God, His kingdom, grace for the broken need of, uh, broken in need of God, and to be a part of His family and His kingdom, right? I mean, that is what we are learning about as we talk about the Bible being, um, you know, our, our church being Bible centered. It's important that we recognize here that God is not an overbearing boss, right? God is not an overbearing boss, and He's not a suffocating parent. God is not a pushover. He's not a doormat. God is reliable, as we see in this verse. God is altogether righteous through his word, and he loves us. The author of this instruction manual for life deeply loves you, and God wrote this with the intention of you, with the intention of you discovering his design for your life, discovering who he is and what that means for you and your life, right? That's what he is showing us uh, in this verse, in the word, and how it says the ordinance of the Lord are reliable. Let's look at verse 10 now. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of gold, pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. Do you long for God's word more than the riches of this world? Do you long to spend time with God over eating at a four-star Michelin restaurant? Right? Would you rather be famous in our Father's eyes or on Instagram? The thing about the Bible is that it puts everything into perspective. God reminds us through His Word, right? Get this. Listen, let this soak into your heart today. God reminds us in His Word, through His Word, that we are not what we do. We are not what we have, right? We, have, we are not what we've done, and we are not who we know. He reminds us that our present troubles, though he is with us and deeply cares for us in and through them, all of it will actually fade away and pale in comparison to the broader and greater story that God is actually weaving in and through 
our lives, even to the sense of what you are going through right now, even if you're like, you dug yourself out of your bed, right, and you, this, this was like, I mean, Christina said this this morning, right, to our kids, and one of our kids was like, I don't want to go to church, I don't want to go, and, and, you know, you think, um, you know, like the pastor's kids would always want to go to church and it's, it's just, you know, no, it's, you know, I'm human like everyone else is human here. And it's like, and, and Christina sh- shared with her, she was like, hey, the, the days, the, the times you feel like you don't want to go to church are actually the times you need to go to church because that's the enemy trying to say something to you, right? And how many Sundays do we wake up not wanting to go to church? It happens, and those Sundays where you're like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, but you end up coming and worshiping together with the body of Christ, what happens when you leave? You're like, well, I am so glad I went because God had a word for you. God has a word for each and every one of us today. And no matter what you are going through, God wants to redeem He wants to restore, he wants to reconcile, and he wants to renew what's going on in your life. He wants to turn those ashes into beauty. And he's going to weave that in the story of your life. Verse 11, it says, In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. Have you ever heard that the Bible is like a mirror? How many of you have heard of that? I remember as a, uh, as a teenager, I went to church, not because I wanted to go to church, um, I went because my parents forced me to go, and I was too young to stay home by myself. So, and even if I was old enough to stay home by myself, they didn't want me to stay home by myself. So uh, I remember, so there's a lot of Sundays where I don't remember going because I just kind of had to go, and it was just like, oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to be here, all this stuff. And that's, I, I remember so many times, but I remember this one sermon, I, 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 brought, I had to bring my Bible, uh, you know, I was kind of forced to bring my Bible, and uh, what I do is I'd ha- I would have a highlighter in my Bible because, you know, my parents had highlighters in their Bible and I was supposed to do it. So I don't know. Uh, it felt like I really wanted to highlight the Bible at that time in my life. But I remember this one sermon where the preacher was preaching and he read 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-two, and he said, and it, and it said this, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do to me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So I read that and I was like, what? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die? This is awesome. So I grabbed my highlighter and I highlighted that verse, and I was like, this means I can eat and drink whatever I want. I can live my life however I want to live, because tomorrow we die, right? It sounds like a warrior type of movie. Literally, I, I highlighted that, and that was what was going on in my heart. And then the preacher kept on preaching, and he's like, do not be deceived. I was like, oh, bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning. For some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame, right? And he said that, and I was like, oh, wait, that's not what that meant. I better highlight the whole thing (laughs) in case someone looks at my Bible, right? Seriously, that's what was going on in my heart, 
right? And what's fascinating about that is the Bible is like a mirror. It reflects what's going on in your heart back to you. Even if you don't want to read the word, God wants to speak to each and every one of you, and he will do it through his word. And even in that time in my life where the last thing I wanted to do was read the Bible, when I opened up the Bible, I wouldn't have gotten this if I just saw it on the screen or didn't bring a Bible or didn't open it up in my app, right? I I mean, by opening up the word and by reading the word and looking at it with my eyes, God spoke to me when my ears were shut. And God wants to speak to each and every one of us. When we soak and immerse ourselves in the Bible, God will warn us of paths that we are traveling down, like that example, and paths that we ought not to travel down. There's a decision you need to make. Pros and cons lists are fine. Texting your friend or asking someone else for their advice is fine and it's helpful, especially if they're godly, God-fearing, and they're in the Word. But they can't make a decision for you. God is going to give wisdom. He wants to lead you and He wants to do that through His Word. He will, like it says in Psalm 139, 23-24, when we read the Word, God will show us our unintentional sins, and our hidden faults, right? It says in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God will show us these unintentional sins and these hidden faults so that, so that we don't unintentionally wake up one day having sabotaged our lives imploding within and ruining and affecting all the people around me. And there's a lot of implosion stories in the news today, aren't there? God will protect us as we spend time with him by spending time in his word. Okay, now notice what I said here. I didn't say that God was going to protect us and I I didn't say that God was going to protect us as we spend time with his word. I didn't say that. I said that he would protect us as we spend time with him by spending time in his word. This order is critical to get right, and it's about spending time with him. Sometimes, and I've said this before, right, we have this false dichotomy between quality and quantity time. And the reason people say, hey, would you rather spend quality or quantity time? The reason people say, I would rather spend quality time than quantity time is because they're guilty that they haven't been spending enough quantity time. The only reason quality time is quality time is because when you've spent quantity time together, it becomes quality time through the moments, right? And what happens is the only way we can have quality time with God is if we spend quantity time with him first, and that's by spending time with him through his word, through his word, right? I mean, it says in, I love this, I love this. Going back to Psalm, seven, uh, Psalm 19, I love this verse 14, and it's the last verse. May the words of my mouth, love this, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I mean, it says in God's word to, it says, hide your, how can a young man keep his way pure? By hiding your word in his heart, right? 
There's a verse that you can memorize. There's a guy that I'm discipling. And I asked him this past week, I was like, hey, meditate on Psalm 19 and hide one of these verses in your heart. If there's a verse that God is calling you, if there's any of these verses that you can hide and memorize and meditate on and put into your word, do so. But man, this verse is so powerful. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me share you a quick example here. Um, we've talked about the armor of God before, and it says in Ephesians 6, right, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So every one of those pieces are defensive except the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, was not a long Excalibur type of sword, but it was a short dagger for close hand combat. And what's fascinating is as we spend time in God's word, as we put ourselves underneath the word of God and spend time with him through his word, what happens is the armor of God gets strengthened and built up right with the belt of truth. We grow in our knowledge of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We, we understand and we grow in right relationship with God, the feet fitted with the gospel of peace. We experience peace in the midst of chaos through his word and through spending time with his word. The shield of faith, we grow in our, in our belief and our understanding of his word. Our faith is strengthened as we spend time in his word. The helmet of salvation, we understand who we are in Christ when we spend time in his word. That's what happens when we spend time in the word. And every day, the enemy is shooting flaming arrows at us. And the shield of faith is one of those big, massive shields that you can hide under. And every day, the enemy is telling us, right, this is who you are. This is what you need to do. This is how you fall short. This is, and the enemy does that. And as we spend time in his word, what happens is we are building up the armor of God. We're building up our faith. We're strengthening these pieces. That's why it's so important from a spiritual armor standpoint to spend time with him and in his word. But here's the thing. This sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, is the word that is hidden in our heart that God brings about when, we, when the enemy comes in and attacks us. Now, here's the thing about sin. If the enemy is far away shooting arrows at you and you are spending time in his word, what happens to those temptations? There's always a way out of temptation as we read in 1 Corinthians, right? There's always a way out. And if the enemy is really far away shooting arrows at you and you are spending time in his word, can you overcome those temptations? Yeah, you can because you've built up the armor of God. If you have no armor of God, the enemy can be way, and he's like, I don't need to worry about that. I can just go like this. He's down. Or he doesn't have to worry because he knows that. But if you're spending time in the word, the enemy can't do that. So what does the enemy do? He keeps on going and he gets closer and he gets closer and he gets closer. And that's what happens with sin and temptation. If you don't give it to God and confess it, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger until the enemy is right there in your face right? You guys know that pattern? So why does it say the sword of the spirit is the word of God? Because the word of God is the word hidden in your heart so that when you're in close hand combat, you pull out the word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? And that destroys the, the, the temptation and the power of the evil one in, that, that is trying to overcome you. 
Right? It's saying, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Temptation is gone. Because that's the power and that's why we memorize the word of God. Does that make sense? So when we view and approach the Bible in this way, our hearts will shift. And in Psalm 37, 4, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. That's what will begin to rise up in our hearts. So what does it mean as we end our time today? What does it mean to be Bible-centered? What does that core value mean to be Bible-centered? Ultimately, it's not about loving or worshiping the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. It's about loving and worshiping Jesus who shows himself to us through the Bible. Being Bible-centered is about loving and worshiping Christ who wants to speak to us through the Bible. It's, about, it's not about hungering after the word for the word's sake. It's about hungering after the word because it points to Christ. So let me leave you with two things, and, and these are two research projects conducted by Lifeway Research. It's fascinating. The first one is if you're parents, if you have kids, this is going to be really fascinating for you, and the other one is uh, everyone else, okay? Whether you're a parent or not, it applies to both. So number one, if you have kids, there was a study that analyzed 2,000 Protestant adults who finished their parenting journey and now their kids were 18 to 30 years old. And the study actually looked at these parents and were like, hey, what, you you know, it, it looked at the faith characteristics of those kids who are now grown up and of the parenting practices that the parents had for the kids when the kids were growing up. And the largest impact out of everything that the parents did and everything that the kids did growing up, the largest impact on a child's faith journey was reading the Bible. That made the large, that had more of an impact on a child's spiritual development later on as an adult than a family meal, than what school the child attends, and how often they came to the kids or the student ministry. Kids who regularly read their Bible were much more likely to walk with Christ as adults than those who didn't. So if you're a parent, are you reading the Bible with your kids? Are you reading the Bible with them? Secondly, it's for you as an individual. Another research project showed out of everything that caused an individual to grow, you know, every aspect of faith, you know, sharing your faith, obeying God and denying self, you know, growing, exercising your faith, growing in relationship with others, you know, every single component of a mature and healthy disciple, the single thing that caused every single one of those things to increase was reading the Bible. Reading the Bible, friends, not for the Bible's sake, as we talked about today, reading the Bible out of affection and love for God is actually going to make one of the greatest impacts on your relationship with God than anything else. So what does it look like for you this week to, as a parent, read your Bible with your kids and as an individual to read the Bible yourself? Let's pray.